0: Sorry, Luke chapter 10. It's when Jesus uh, sent out uh, 72 disciples. And just before he sent these guys out, uh, he invited a bunch of people to follow him and they said, no, they said, I'm too busy. They said, "Uh, uh, I've got to do this, I've got to do that and he just carried on. So not everybody who Jesus called followed him. So from verse 1 of chapter 10, After this the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him in every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, Peace to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. Stay in the house eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcome to eat what is set before you, and this very clear mandate, heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near. Do a work of power and then talk about God. That's quite revolutionary. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that sticks to our feet, we wipe off against you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God is near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for, for, the, for that town. And then he curses Chorazin, Capernaum and Bethsaida and says, you did not recognize the time of the Lord's coming and you will be uh, cursed. And as I've said many times, you go and stand on that land today and they're ruins. That curse has lived right through and they were thriving cities. And then eventually the the 72 come back after they've been sent out. And the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And he replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And one of the few passages where Jesus shows a, a passionate joy, he says, at that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. And Father, we bless you that... The things that you want to teach us are not difficult. We don't need to go to university. We don't need to have degrees. We don't even have to be that educated to understand the needs, the the, the things that you bring into the world through Jesus. And we pray this morning that we would hear your voice and be encouraged by your voice. And we would understand the incredible transformation that you've called us into. And we would be hungry for more and thirst for more. And we speak against a spirit of complacency. And we speak against a spirit of pride. We speak against that which in us resists you because we don't want to change. Because we think where we are is good enough. And Lord, you look at us and you go, as you spoke to us through that prophetic word from Megan, I long to embrace you in a deeper way. So Lord, we just ask your spirit to to do that in us that we can't do ourselves. Amen. I'm going to mosey along here. Galatians is where we're going to start, which is Paul's letter to the Galatians, and David's introduced you to that. Galatians, the the key that I'm trying to get out of Galatians, or the part that I'm meant to speak on, is that God calls us to live life supernaturally, naturally, or naturally supernatural. And Paul is writing to, to the Galatians and he's, he starts in these first chapters by just establishing his credentials. And he starts by saying, I mean he says a number of times, why have you so quickly deserted what you first got hold of? And this is only 30 years, it's not even 30 years of the Christian gospel being in this community. And already they're struggling to say what is true, what is not true, who are we, what should we believe and all that stuff. It started very, very early on. And he says, "How quickly are you deserting?" Uh, it's chapter one, verse six. How quickly are you deserting? Uh, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Human nature always wants to take the good news of Jesus and turn it into something that can be controlled and ritualized. We all do that. We start with love and we start with grace and we end up with rules and regulations so that you you have to change before you become a member of our particular club. It's human nature to do that. And one of the things we want to get, come to terms with is just how much human nature battles with the kingdom of God and is reflected in us. And instead of taking it as an insult, we just recognize that as God reveals that tension, we rejoice and go, thank you that you're showing me this so that I can become that. Rather than defending it and going, I'm so insulted that you call me that. Do you understand it's, it, 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 there's a, the, the, one of the biggest ways that spiritual battles are defeated is when God convicts us and we get insulted think of yourself as a garden that just continually needs work weeding, cultivating, fertilizing everything else and get over yourself weeds grow and I weeded last week weeds grow and I weeded last year yeah, that's life in the garden and life in the promised land life with God is like that too it's a continual gardening process. So, be encouraged. And so, uh, Paul is talking about he, how, God, how Jesus met him and he started supernaturally with Jesus revealing himself to him, revealing his truth to him. And then he comes through uh, verse chapter 2 and the, the, just the one phrase I want to pick up is uh, God does not judge my external appearances and and Paul just underlines that God does not judge by external appearances. What does that tell me? He says it doesn't matter what I do, what I look like, how I perform, God does not judge me according to that. Which is how we value each other. It's important. Paul then goes on to say, I've been crucified with Christ, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That's a a whole phrase that if you actually really want to see that unpacked, come on Tuesday night because there's a very good teaching about that and how we make progress in the Christian life. That's Tuesday at 7 at Dogwood. That's a little plug for that. Paul comes to chapter 3 and he says, Who has bewitched you, you foolish Galatians? You started... What does he say? Uh, Before your very eyes, Jesus was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by, by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? That's what we're talking about today. Do you really think that you can take a bit of Christian theology and a little good news of Jesus and read your Bible and have a Bible study and through that, that human effort, which can be very good, but if that's where it ends, do you really think that's going to transform life? And he's saying to the Galatians, you're really seeing it's not and I'm bearing witness to it in my life. It does not work. So, what do we do? Paul talks about the transforming relationship of Jesus. Paul and Peter could both have boasted and said, I intellectually uh, was absolutely opposed to the idea of Jesus being the Messiah until he met me on the Damascus Road, a supernatural encounter that absolutely blew my mind and broke my heart and transformed my life. And it's out of that encounter where Paul was faced, Saul was faced, With the fact that everything in him had said no, everything in God said yes, and grace brought them together. And so he says, I have nothing to boast in, because everything I invested in proved to be fruitless. And Peter would have said everything I said and vowed that I would do in my own strength to follow Jesus because I really liked that guy. I loved him and I was passionately for him. And when it came to hard times and it came to my life being threatened and it was a question of my life or his life, I chose my life and I denied him. And it was grace and passion and forgiveness and mercy that met me on a Galilee seashore and said, Peter, do you love me? and through my tears and brokenness because I'd vowed that I wouldn't do this he met me have you been there? have you been there? have you been to that place of brokenness where everything in you that you pride yourself in is smashed on the ground and you go I have nothing and all your reputation is smashed and all your thoughts are smashed and everything you said you would do is smashed and people laugh at you and they ridicule you and they say look what happened to him or her And Jesus comes to you and says, I love you. It'll change your life. Much more than, well Jesus, you can have this part of me if I have time. That won't change your life. That just breeds hypocrites. Ask God if you don't have it, ask Him for that kind of passion. You don't have to. We don't all have to go smash. But we can say, Father, teach me. How nothing in me can do it. Human effort doesn't cut it. I'll tell you why. How can you start in the Starting in the spirit is starting at that moment where you're at the end of yourself and Jesus begins. And he says to Peter, now I can use you. At your weakest, most devastated revelation of your nothingness, we can actually begin to work. It's like breaking a horse. Now that you stop arguing with me, stop trusting in yourself, I'm going to just blow your mind with what we can do together with me being the leader. And that's what he did. I mean, Peter's amazing. He probably goes, I didn't start the Catholic Church. I was a fisherman who basically was used by Jesus. The last place I would... I mean, you go to his house now, he probably has an absolute fit. Because above the place that's reputed to be Peter's house in Galilee is this... looks like a rocket launcher. It's a Catholic church with a a glass floor and you kind of... it's, It's just silly. Anyway, that's nothing to do with what we're talking about. Again, come back to this kind of place. If Easter and Christmas and Jesus on the cross and the resurrection were so important... Have I got the full measure of what it was all about? And if I was Jesus, would I give up my life and do what he did for what I am enjoying right now? Or would you go, goodness me, if I saw... No, I wouldn't. There must be more. Christianity is far more revolutionary. And it's very, very exciting when we hear God saying, I've come to set captives free. I've come to set blind people to see like they've never seen before starting in the spirit is starting at a place where God says I set the agenda I love with a passion and a desire that you have never seen and I want to talk about these two worlds the world that we're born into is the world of alienation the world of the Olympic Games I'm not knocking the Olympic Games other than to say it's, a, it's just timely the Olympic Games celebrates human effort and human achievement probably with a lot of money and all kinds of other things but it, it, that's what it, all it can do it separates what human beings can do with some training. And then, really it's saying, look what God made people able to do. But God doesn't get worshipped, of course. There are two worlds. The world of the physical and the natural, and the world of the spiritual. And those two worlds are continually jostling for power. Power. Now, they're jostling for power in one way, they're not jostling for power in another way. On the human level, they're jostling for power. In the spirit kingdom and the the world of God, there's no power conflict at all. He is Lord. But in our realm, it's a jostling for power and these two worlds coexist. And that's what Christianity is trying to proclaim and what Jesus came to reveal. Imagine 200 years ago you took a motor car and you put it down in, the, in a street. Let's say in anywhere in the world. A motor car would look totally beyond anybody's understanding. They would have no frame of reference for it. The potential for motor cars, the potential for discovering motor cars and using gasoline and all that stuff was there. But nobody comprehended what that meant. Imagine if in the spirit world Jesus came and said I come that you might have motor cars and things that are beyond your comprehension so what's happened when Jesus came into the world he revealed a spirit world that was unknown to any of us and the exact opposite has taken place as we have grown in material advancement we have died in spiritual advancement and so Jesus came with the motor car and now most of us are with a horse and buggy Spiritually speaking, we work in reverse so often with God. And Jesus revealed a God, you know what He revealed. Jesus came into the world and said to you and me, This life is not all there is to life. I love you, I rescue you, and I draw you into a future that I invite you to live with me. What does that future look like? We, I, I love using the promised land um, metaphor where the people were in slavery in Egypt and they, they cried out to God for freedom and then he said put that Passover lamb the blood of the Passover lamb over the door frames you each have to do that for your household this is not just one big blanket mandate you each do it and everybody who does that the blood of the lamb will save them and they will be set free from Pharaoh who is a symbol of evil and that is the beginning of a journey into the promised land the beginning of the Christian life is I come to Jesus and I say, Jesus, I know that my life is not what it's meant to be. There's all kinds of things I don't understand, but in my heart of hearts I know that. And I know that you died on a cross for me, and I don't even understand all of that. I just know that you did something wonderful for me, and you forgave my sin. And I ask you to, I want to appropriate that. I want to take that as mine, as you offer me. And I want to become a follower of you. And that's the beginning of the Christian walk. It's all grace, which means I didn't deserve it. I just clued into the fact that a gift was given and something was done for me that I am invited to enter into. That's the beginning of the entry into the promised land or an awareness of a world that is beyond the tangible that I see. And so you you have the promised land as a metaphor for Christian life. Joshua is the one who leads people into the promised land. Joshua is Jesus. In the Gospels, I'm trying to give word pictures that make sense for spiritual truths. When they look into the Promised Land, they see the giants. And I've said this many times, but this is really, I'm getting to something that is very, very important. They look into the Promised Land, they see the giants, they go and explore it. Ten of them say, No, we're not going in because it's not what we expected. Two of them say, Let's go in. God will be faithful. The ten win and they wander around in the desert for 40 years and they never enter into the inheritance that God has for them. It's all very well for us to talk about God's favor being upon us, which is what we're doing since Graham Cook gave his prophecy. But that is, that is contingent, that is dependent upon obedience. Otherwise you wander. They looked into the promised land and they saw these two realities, milk and honey and giants. And they said, I, we feel like locusts two realities same land that is what the world is in which we live two realities same land so you can stand here and you can see nothing but the tangible or you can stand here and say the kingdom of God is here and his power is present and there is victory to be won right now right here all depends what eyes you have and ears you have to see Think about it another way, we've done this before, you put a, a radio in here and you can pick up airwaves, you can pick up voices and music. So this air is full of music and germs and all kinds of things. Now in the physical world what happens is that the germs attack the physical, they manifest themselves in the physical and you say there's a germ here. Because I've seen it evidence of it in the physical what Jesus came to say is, why wait until you've been attacked and why wait until you've been bound up to attack, this, to, to attack what you don't see? And so he actually says, you can actually attack the germs before they attack you. That's what spiritual warfare is. Taking authority over the unseen before it manifests itself in your midst and does more damage than it need to. Does that make sense? Sort of. What are the giants in the land? The promised land is there. In other words, God's promises are there, but they're going to be challenged by giants. They always are. Every promise God gives you is challenged. And so what's the big issue in the promised land? The big issue of growing in the Christian life is real, real simple, but it's incredibly important. It's three things. There's truth and deception. The truth and deception about the land, in other words, the circumstances in which you live, Truth and deception about God, who he is and whether he'll come through or not. And truth and deception about yourself and who you are. That is where the battleground takes place for spiritual growth and spiritual life. And Paul says, if you want to go through human power, you will lose every battle in the promised land. You cannot do it. Two realities with very different outcomes and possibilities. Depending what you see will determine how you make that journey. And what does it hinge on? It hinges on who you see God to be and who you see yourself to be. When Jesus sent out the 72, he sent them out and they healed the sick and they cast out demons. And what did he say? I saw Satan for. Now, he didn't see a literal falling of Satan. He saw a spiritual reality. And those disciples experienced spiritual victories that weren't visible necessarily, although some of them would have been in the casting out of demons and healing the sick. But you start with the invisible in order to affect the visible. Jesus always worked from heaven to earth, not from earth to heaven. So why we need teaching, why we need to understand these things is to say, which truth are you going to live under? Do you live under the truth of circumstances by what you see or do you live under the truth of circumstances that God reveals through Jesus and his word? That's why we need to make declarations like Jesus is Lord in this place. You declare it. Because the dark spirit world wants you to think, no he's not. Look at the evidence around you. It's a garbage dump. And you say, nevertheless, He is Lord. He came to redeem it. Same is true over your life. I need learn to declare, I am loved by God. He has, saved my, he has saved me. He has come for me. He is my friend. I am His friend. His spirit lives in me. I need to declare that before I necessarily experience it. So let me just go into this a little deeper here quickly. Two kingdoms, I'm keeping on this, the battle zone, two kingdoms, the spirit of God and the spirit of evil. And they find their intersection, they find their place of meeting in you and me. And Paul talks about being saved and he says, I am saved, I was saved and I will be saved. In other words, we're incomplete. So the promised land is also a picture of us. In other words, I am a land that is being saved by God, but I haven't occupied the whole land. It's coming under the lordship of Jesus. Does that make sense to you? That's why you can can say yes to Jesus one minute, the next Jesus you're behaving like an absolute pagan. It's because it's not all being claimed. So relax, it's going to be a work, you're a work in progress. Satan comes along and accuses you with the stuff that hasn't been dealt with and says, you call yourself a Christian, look at this. God says we're just getting to that. I mean Peter you could use as an example of all kinds of things, of of, of a work in progress. So you and I are a work in progress. So we live in this battle zone. Now let me talk to you about this battle zone very quickly. You remember in in James and in, in, in Revelation, in James talks about be on your guard because there is a lion prowling around. Satan is like a lion that prowls around trying to devour you. Correct? You remember that? that evil prowls around you looking like a lion in in Revelation 5 it talks about a lion the lion of Judah in this promised land and in this double land which is the prison which is what Satan has done on earth as a result of the fall and in the promised land which is what Jesus is redeeming on earth as a result of the resurrection these two realities coexist right now it's really important are you with me? Is this making sense to you? It'll help you deal with the confusion that is our life. It is both and all the time, and then it becomes a question of who we see and serve. They're two lions. They're two lions who prowl this land, and Satan tries to mimic what God does in Jesus all the time. So, what does he do? He becomes a lion, and he prowls around like a lion. So my first impression when I see him is, oh, that's the Lion of Judah. It's another deception. Jesus said, be on your guard because there are sheep in wolves' clothing, And they come in amongst the flock and they divide the flock. How do I know that it's a sheep in wolf clothing? From a distance it looks like a sheep. And if we were, uh, if we had to line up the whole of humanity, take off all your clothes, you're all naked, and you're standing in a line, and they say, who are the Christians? You wouldn't be able to tell who the Christians are by looking at them. The promised land, and this land of ambivalence, is a land that is a battle with truth and deception. And how do we know the difference? Because that's the key to life. The lion that is evil, that is Satan, what does he do? He accuses. When he gets near, he bears his fangs. When he gets near, he accuses you. He frightens you. In fact, the whole aura around him is darkness. He cannot mimic love. So no matter how much he dresses up, his nature cannot be disguised. So you discern the the lion that is in front of you by its nature and its behavior and its character that comes out of it. The lion of Judah is strong, is powerful, is peaceful, is kind, is good. You can't mimic those two. Same is true with the sheep. The sheep that is of God's household bears the fruit and the character of the character of Jesus. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. What does that tell you? It tells you that the secret to discernment in this land, which is the kingdom of God, the promised land, is relationship and identity. The prison land, we've talked about this before, the prison land is one of slavery it's slaves it's a slave mentality the promised land is children who are learning how to be loved by a father whose father says go and explore this you're safe with me the prison is about rules rules Regulations. You ought and ought not to do this. It's about survival and self. The promised land is about grace. Do you know what Jesus did? I mean, I shouldn't even be here. It's about an awe struck thankfulness for God even bringing me to this place. Final point who lives in these lands? How does this deception work on another level? In the promised land, these guys, scouts, went out and they saw giants and they said, we felt like grasshoppers. You're aware that in actuality there were only human beings in that land. And some felt like grasshoppers and some felt like giants and it all hinged on their identity of self what is the truth because Jesus said the truth will set you free we live at a time where truth is pretty shallow truth is rooted in feeling it's not it's rooted in truth that is revealed by Jesus by his spirit and backed up by his word those who live in the land are people whose victories depend on their identities. Let me explain. The giants in the kingdom of darkness are those who pretend that they have power. They accuse and they imprison. The giants held me for five, six, seven years. You screwed up your life, you're nothing, you're not going anywhere, you're just going to have to grind this thing out now. And they are ruthless. You can call whatever you like, they are ruthless. Jesus came into the world, and he came into a world of grasshoppers and said, you are giants, you've been created to be giants. The truth is that you are deeply loved. You're you couldn't have a greater extreme between a giant and a grasshopper. Satan's mandate is to make every human being feel like a grasshopper, live like a grasshopper, and behave like a grasshopper. Jesus' mandate is to have every human being discover that they are giants created to explore, to roam, and to know joy and no fear. When you become a Christian, you enter into the process of being changed. And what happens, and we talked a little bit about this on Tuesday many, many, many people who call themselves Christian are giants with grasshopper brains. Have you ever seen a giant hop? I'm being real, real serious here. Giants with, hop, with grasshopper brains, the mentality of a grasshopper, a victim. And all I'm doing is having churches for slaves who are grasshoppers, who are praying, thanking God that he's heard their cry, but there's no transformation and there's no victory and there's no occupation of the promised land. We have church to survive until we die and we go to heaven. And Jesus said that's not the gospel whatsoever. I have not called you to be grasshoppers who are born again, have this fantasy about being a giant, but actually live out your life as grasshoppers, hoping that once you die, you become the giants you were always meant to be. What he did with Peter and what he did with Saul was to say, I'm going to release in you the giant now that is going to be completed in heaven. And you, each one of you and me, are created to live as giants in a land that wants you to be like a grasshopper. Do you understand that? Most of us, in fact all of us, have absolutely been infected with grasshopper mentality to the point that what I'm talking about seems unbelievable. The good news is that God starts saying, well, even if you get that concept, there's hope because there's a future, right? How do you know the difference between grasshoppers and giants? And what is talking to you? How do you know what's going on inside you? The grasshoppers manifest, they're the inhabitants of of the kingdom of... uh, It's where Satan has most of his influence. Grasshopper mentality is mean. It's basically all the kingdom of darkness stuff. Anger, hatred, jealousy, strife, all that stuff. The fruit of, of the giant is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. And what God's desire in Jesus and by His Holy Spirit, why we need the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit is the one that cultivates and releases the fruit of the giant. Satan causes, causes, uses bluff. So what Satan does is he says, if you think you're a giant... <coughs> he will accuse you and say, you think you're a giant, but you're behaving like this, and he'll just try and get you back into being a a grasshopper. Are you following me? So how do you, and this is the last point, I promise you, how do you actually make progress with this? You basically come before Jesus and say, Jesus, I know that I'm a bit of both, but you have redeemed me, so I am a giant. (coughs) But I confess that a heck of a lot of the grasshopper lives in me. (coughs) So what does he say? He says, well, that's a good beginning. So just let me bring to death the grasshopper as it arises and let me raise up the giant as that arises. What does that mean? He just says, let me be the gardener. (coughs) Jesus says, by your fruit you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. (coughs) I must get some water here. (coughs) It's alright. I can roam, I think. Ooh, I nearly drank the microphone. I just want to... I've got to make this last point. I know it's getting late and the Olympic torch is nearly out of town, but never mind. (laughs) This 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 is... You see, what I'm wanting to really instill in us, the hope of this whole big picture, but also the the incredible simplicity of walking this out. The problem with incredible simplicity is it's not very flattering to us. I don't go to the, the grocery store and go, Oh Father, I pray that you will show me what an apple looks like. Or a grapefruit or a pineapple. Do I? I hope not. I know what it looks like. I don't need to go and pray. I know what it looks like. If you want to know what God's doing in your life and the life of those around you, stop praying so much and just inspect the fruit. And what I mean by that is if I manifest with you anger, frustration, jealousy, anger, frustration and jealousy is fruit in me and if you bring it out in me that's my problem, not yours and I don't have anger and you you can say to me oh no it's not and I say I don't know about you but I've just picked this fruit from you while we've been together I've just picked this fruit and it's anger I know what anger looks like I know what jealousy looks like I know what mean-spirited looks like I don't have to pray about this I'm seeing it in you Or I'm seeing it in me. And if it's in me, then I know something. I know that there's a a root in me that's giving birth to this and energizing this. Jesus did not come to give therapy to grasshoppers as to how they can learn to live with it. He came to say, I take it to the cross, destroy it. Now, where we have to win the battle is when that comes up in me, I don't get accused and go, oh, I'm terrible. I go, thank you, Jesus, that you're showing me something, that I need your Holy Spirit to work in me, because human effort is giving me this one. You're following me. So I, I, I give grace to myself to be a garden in which God is wanting to grow things. And guess, when does fruit manifest itself? The fruit of these kingdoms, of the supernatural kingdoms, m- manifests itself in tough times. I don't want to hang out with you to see what Jesus is doing with you when things are good. It's easy. So when things are bad, things are hard, things are challenging, and then we'll pick fruit, and we'll go, what fruit is here? And all I'm saying is, because we all have the mixture, believe me, we all know that, right? One of you will say, he's talking about me. Yes, I am talking about you, but I'm talking about me. So if things rise up in me, I need to pay attention to them because it's God's Spirit saying we need to do some gardening. You can be encouraged because there's a nice bouquet growing here that you didn't see before. It's called peace or joy that's taken you by surprise. But over here there's this very ugly dandelion growing that's, uh, it's your issue, honey. And you go, but he made me feel this way. And he said, no, he didn't make you feel this way. This rose up in you when they did that. And Jesus, the spirit of Jesus says, if I was in you growing fruit, I wouldn't respond like that. I might call the same thing to attention, but I wouldn't respond with that emotional root. And that's the difference between the promised land and the kingdom of darkness. It's the fruit that grows and the fruit that's cultivated. And the way you tell from what is deception and what is truth is by inspecting fruit and allowing the fruit to be inspected in your own life. And that is not complicated. Because the thing that's killing us in churches and in Christian expression is we hide the fruit, or we deny the fruit, or we think it's more complicated. And we call bad fruit good fruit when it's not. Or we kill each other for when the fruit is bad, rather than just say we need each other's help. That's why we pray for the Holy Spirit to work in us. That's why we want to be prayed for. So that God's spirit can cultivate in us the things that are good and reveal his kingdom. So I hope you're challenged. I hope some of this makes sense. So that that we all see that we're we're all part of this dual thing. This good, evil, uh, grasshopper giant thing. But Jesus' desire is that each of us would know ourselves to be born created to be giants with huge resources to, to, to harvest the milk and honey that is his gift to us and, and part of his kingdom. But I want to encourage you as we come to, to break bread together is that we bring God to God the grasshoppers that we often feel we are. The thinking that is often not of him, that is a reflection of the grasshopper. And we just say, Jesus, will you continue to teach me what you have given me, what you have won for me? Because there's a huge transformation in this. There's a powerful ministry and witness to people who have become giants and who've started living like that. And that's what God is wanting to release among us. But Paul said if you try this by human effort, you will just look like locusts trying to be tough guys. And you won't win. Because it's in the spirit realm that this thing is won. And then it will be manifest in the physical. And that's why God, right at the beginning, when he rescued me, when he pulled me out of where I was in darkness, and I mean this absolutely real, the first thing he showed me was, open your shirt and see the Superman emblem. You've lost your identity. It changed my life. I thought, how on earth have I ended up here again? But he just said this. He said, you take off that shirt and as soon as they know who, that you know who you are you will have an authority to walk out of here that you've been looking for the, for the last seven years and that was actually absolutely true that's what happened it's about identity let's stand I want you just in a moment of silence bring your sense of identity before Jesus He's absolutely, He and the Holy Spirit and the Father are, are, are totally united in saying to you, I want to open your eyes and heart and everything in you to the revelation of the love we have for you and the identity that we have given you. And I want to give to you and impart to you, by my Spirit, says the Lord, a wisdom so that you can discern what is deception and what is truth about yourself about the circumstances of your life and about your relationship with me as your father and I want you to be able to discern what are the words of the enemy The way he accuses you, the way he belittles you, the way he pulls you down, the way he immobilizes you and says you'll amount to nothing, the way he just throws things at you. Well, if you want to, you can step into Jesus and say none of that is true. It's really easy to hear the voice of the enemy. All he does is accuse you. So, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit will take something from what has been talked about this morning and root it deep in us like a weed killer. That when things come up that are negative and that are hard, or, or things that have come up in our lives that are are discouraging to us, we will just be able to step into you and say, "Thank you, Jesus, that you've planted something stronger, and I'm going to become something better than that because you are working in me." I want to continue to live in the Spirit, not in human effort, because human effort is is too hard. And what Jesus is wanting to do in each of our lives is to give us a vision of what he's leading us into before we experience it. What is God speaking to you about this morning that he wants you to grow into in these next weeks? Father, I pray that you'll show each one of us something. And how he will show it will be he'll show you the thing that you're struggling with and then just ask him to show you the opposite. And receive that from him as his gift to you. He said, I'll let you eat of the fruit of peace before you have it. And I'll grow it in you as you receive it. So Holy Spirit, will you come in power and presence and do in us what only you can do to bring to life the fruit that bears witness to you. And we speak death over the work of the evil one. Over the one who would deceive and the one who would destroy and the one who would divide and the one who would give us fruit that is bitter. So Lord, as we break bread together, will you continue to work out your purposes in us? We bless you and we praise you for the hope that is in us because of what Jesus has done, that we are indeed giants. To that end we pray. Amen.